first scripture, John 3.16. You'll see it in the end zone of every football game written on a sheet. The verse that everybody knows, and yet it's the verse that just keeps on speaking. It keeps on giving. There's more to it. John writes, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. I'm going to continue a series. It's just going to be two weeks, this week and next week. It's entitled, The Divine Pursuit is the, uh, the series title. The message today is to seek and save. We've said, and Judah introduced us this year to our theme, which is the divine pursuit. And there's, there's two sides to that coin. When we say the divine pursuit, we are very familiar with, and Judah aptly and appropriately addressed the side of the coin regarding divine pursuit that involves our pursuit of God. His series was entitled uh, Hidden, what was it? Hidden, um, Hidden Priorities, the word. I knew it was a P word. Hidden Priorities. And he addressed what we, that God looks at our heart and the issue is, what am I doing with my heart? You know, am, am I, is my walk with God for show? Is my walk with God a desire from my heart to know Him, to walk with Him? Um, why do I do what I do? Am I really just after the blessings? Or do I want the Lord? All of these things are relevant to my walk with God, my pursuit of God. They all get factored in. But the other side of the coin is God's pursuit of us. And that is equally, maybe more so, weighty and significant to our walk, our daily walk. I think when we consider my pursuit of God and God's pursuit of me, as the two sides of the coin we're considering today, I think it's fair to say we're probably, many of us are probably more familiar, maybe in a lopsided way, of saying, you know what, I'm more familiar with my pursuit of God than his pursuit of me. I'm more aware of me trying to get to God, me trying to hear the Lord, me wanting to hear his voice, me trying to get my needs met, me living in a nasty now with a lot of things to fear. Doesn't mean we have to fear them, but there are a lot of things out there that are scary if you don't have God. And so this morning, what I want to do is I would like to, without diminishing anything about our pursuit of God, I would like to weigh and balance this theme and balance this formula a little bit more by considering God's pursuit of me. How is it relevant? How is it going to affect me? How is this going to affect me in daily life? If we could have uh, John chapter, I think, 15. John chapter 15, please. Jesus makes this statement you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you would go and bear fruit and that your fruit would remain so that whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give it to you. 
That's pretty key. Plug your name in. Brenda Morrow, you didn't choose me. Matt Morrow, you didn't choose me. I chose you. I chased after you. I wanted you. Will Rush, I wanted you. Stacy, I chased after you. You didn't choose me. I chose you. This is an important perspective, and we're going to get to why, but I first just want to kind of drive home this fact that a lot of times we think, I want God. Where is he? Uh, we had Heather gave us such a wonderful testimony a few weeks ago regarding living in the now and having very real needs and wondering where is God and then God showing up. God, where are you? And God gave to her. And it was such a, I, I've never told you that, but that was so, such an excellent testimony of God's faithfulness. But that's what we see a lot. And it's what we hear a lot. Kind of the, the I'm stuck, I'm here, I can't hear your voice. And when we only consider that avenue, that portion of our pursuit of God, it can seem like very me-heavy, doesn't it? Very me-driven. I'm trying to hear God. I'm trying to find Him. I'm trying. And the, what can happen, what can creep in is this subtle but unspoken thought, where is He? What's He doing? I used to think He would just ring me out and save me in the 11th hour, 59th second. That he was just, I was on a constant test. And I had just had to hold my breath and hang on and hang on and hang on. And at the last possible minute, he would save me. And that was a skewed view. And we're going to, I'm going to address that view. I'm not saying we want to hold on to that. Because that's not so helpful. Because it makes God appear cruel his test just about my human endurance, and that's not it at all. So, to keep on track, you did not choose me, but I chose you. And that implies desire, want, a care for you individually. That's a very individualized statement. Uh, in 1 John chapter 4, we also have this verse, we love because he first loved us. Perfect love casts out fear, and perfect love reminds us that he loved us first. Our pursuit of God is a reaction. It's a response to him first choosing us. I'll speak for myself, but I think most of you can relate. If you can think back to when... The time when you were born again, the time when you committed your life to Christ, the time when something really happened. For me, it wasn't a one-night thing. It was about a month of things happening. God's pursuit of me and my mind, I had never grown up in a church. I had gone to a church, uh, Methodist church as a very young boy, but never after that. 
when I joined the Merchant Marines, I found out that I dropped out of college, joined the Merchant Marines, and found out promptly I did not like waves. I got seasick. I couldn't eat for two weeks. And I worked in the kitchen. So the smells, everything was... And I only knew two songs. Jesus loves the little children, and Jesus loves me, this I know. And I knew those from, I don't know when, from the time I was in some little Bible school or some little Sunday school. But I found out by seeing, I felt so silly because I thought, here I am, you know, 20-some years old. I should know more things than this, but those are the two songs. And yet they healed me, and I began to be able to eat singing two, those two songs. But I was singing them to him, and they brought relief. Uh, my point being, I didn't have a lot of church ideas. I didn't know scriptures. I didn't have a lot of religious thoughts. And so this was all new. For God thoughts to begin becoming prevalent in my mind and for me to begin thinking about God and then for things to begin to happen early on in my early days of seeking the Lord and knowing the Lord, I said this a lot. Wow, what a coincidence. I was just thinking this and then this thing happened. I just prayed about this, and wow, that happened. For, a, for quite a while, I just thought, what a coincidence. And then I began realizing, wow, that's an answered prayer. That's God. And so I began to be tuned. But taking us back to those beginning days, and I'm sure we all have different stories, God was working in such an individual way with me and with us individually, convincing us that it was him. Convincing us that Jesus died on the cross for me. He began to work in such a way that individually, we began to be brought internally to some realizations of truth. All of a sudden, we who didn't know any of these things, began to realize certain things were true. This is true. And then the next step was to bring us to a decision point where we realized, hey, a decision is required here. I remember one of my first, during that period of time where the Lord was working on me, drawing me to himself I was faced with the thought, if Jesus raised from the dead, where is he? He didn't die again. And for some reason, that just hit me like a ton of bricks, and I couldn't shake it. So for days, I was walking around, where is he? He rose from the dead, where is he? I didn't know a lot at that time, but I remember just being stumped, stunned by something, by a thought. And I dare say, anybody here who has committed their life to Jesus has been brought to those same kind of points where for a long time, you didn't know the Lord, you didn't want anything to do with the Lord, you were pursuing the world and its definition and style of life. And then at some point, things changed and Jesus began to work individually with you and draw you personally and convince you personally that you had a decision to make. Am I talking to the right crowd? Do you guys, can you guys understand and relate to that time, looking back on that time? 
where God impressed upon us his reality and the need that I personally was brought, and I believe all of us were brought to that point where we realized I personally have to make a decision. And I knew, because I had been very anti-religion, I had been very openly anti-religion, and I don't even know why. Just something to do, I guess. Something to wave my flag about. I'm not religious. I hate religion. Uh, at college, on the bulletin boards for the Campus Crusade for Christ post, I was the one that burned it with a lighter. Every time I saw it, I just burned a Campus Crusade. Why? I don't know. I didn't know, even know what it was. It was just a way for me to stand out among my friends as, boy, you're radical. Boy, you're, you know. It's just junk. It's just posture. But I did it. And so now for me to come to this point where I have to do something with the cross that's being required of me, God is alive, Jesus really did it, and I, the pressure of, now what do you say? And in that dorm room, I prayed the prayer to accept Jesus as my Savior, and I'm telling you, it was, I sensed the very real presence of God fill that room, it was almost like I knew where it was and I could touch it. And I recognized, I felt clean, I felt loved, I felt peace, but I also realized he was in the room with me. He chose us. And in the various ways, no matter what it was, it might have been easier to get to me because I didn't have religion. It might have been harder for some other people who grew up in churches to be brought to that place. But nonetheless, we all had to come to that place. We all have to come in the same way. Everybody must be born again. And born again, the born again experience is an event. It's a life event. You never forget it. You remember it because it's life changing. It's life altering. And here's, here's what the scripture says uh, in Romans chapter 5, verse 10. Paul writes, for if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son. And that's what I've been talking about up to this point. God's pursuit of me when I was an enemy. If while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Think about that. In God's pursuit of us, if he was passionately pursuing me when I was an enemy, what do you think he's doing now that I'm his, now that I'm a child of his? Two Thessalonians chapter two says this, but we should always give thanks to God for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord, because God has chosen you from the beginning for torture, for seeing how much you can scream before he finally snatches? No. Because God has chosen you from the beginning for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and faith in the truth. It was for this he called you through our gospel that you may gain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. The word sanctification by the Spirit is God's description of the work he performs on us 
till the day we go home to be with the Lord. No one here has arrived. The older you are in the Lord, the more deep you may be in the Lord. It just means, yeah, his surgery is getting down to roots that you didn't realize were in there. We don't start glowing. We don't arrive. We don't suddenly arrive. We are constantly under God's training. Sanctification is a word for children. It's the word that you are, you are doing this with your children. You are sanctifying them. You are preparing them. You are letting them know, first off, you're our kids. You aren't just anybody's kids. And I'm training you to, for you to know how to live successfully in this place. How many of our lessons with our children are to prepare them for what we understand is ahead of them that they don't understand is ahead of them? Uh, if we could have the verse in John chapter 14. Jesus, knowing he was going to die and be raised from the dead and then called up into heaven, said this, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, and the word is a helper like me, a helper with you. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he, this helper, may be with you forever. That is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him, but you know him because he abides with you and will be in you. That's historically new. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Within the church, there can be an orphan spirit. Though you know Jesus, though you know that he's come to you, there can still be this thought, this everyday thought that I don't really know, I don't really hear, I don't really see, I don't know. Where, where is that initial pursuit? Where is that pursuit that I knew when I was brought to this decision point? And now all of us have our moments where we, where we can't hear, where we need to seek, and um, you know we get stretched and we need to grow. But God wants to make it very plain that I passionately pursued you while you were an enemy, and now I am actively working with you. And you will not be alone. You're not an orphan. Those are things that need to be very present in our mind, and that's why um, body-wide, Christianity-wide, we find a very heavy amount of teaching that involves our pursuit of God, but not very much that addresses God's pursuit of us. And with this lopsided teaching, there can be implied, don't expect too much from him. So how do we resolve this? Well, Jesus began to, when Jesus came and walked the earth and he taught, he used a word that was novel to them. And he used it a lot. Father. Uh, people didn't talk, we say it all the time now, oh, Heavenly Father, we don't even think about what we're saying. In Jesus' time, that was groundbreaking. He was introducing something that he was about to do 
And Jesus used, I'm going to point out three terms. Jesus used the term father. He used the term shepherd. And he used the term savior. What's unique about all those words is they are words that assume soul caretaker responsibility. I'm, I'm picking on Josh and Morgan because they're in the front row. You knew when you had kids, you, you ever think about your kids during the week? You think you ever go a month without thinking about your kids? You ever forget one of them? I didn't think about little Freddie all week. Doggone it, I gotta remember that little Freddie. We as parents, it doesn't matter whether you have several or whether you have one. You don't go a day without thinking about your child because you are the sole caretaker. You are the sole one responsible for their protection. I would not want to be somebody who tried to hurt one of Josh Unkefer's kids. For me to have to go through that bear, I would say I'll leave his kids alone. Because he's a sole caretaker, and I imagine, you know they talk about mama bears too. I imagine the same is true for anyone in here. If someone rose up to harm our children, it wouldn't matter what my stature is. You picked the wrong house. Because their guardianship in a dangerous world is a priority in my thinking. There are cars. There are animals. There's broken glass. There's people. There's kids. I remember a neighborhood kid. We had somebody was over riding bikes with my son. They were little, you know. They were just able to ride little two-wheelers. And this neighbor boy came and pushed our guest over and bloodied his chin. So my son came running, running, and said, this is Joey Pivots, for anybody who knows. The neighbor, this boy up the street just pushed Joey over on his bike, and he's bleeding. And I said, take me to the kid. And Isaac, my son, said, what are you going to do? <laughs> his, his thought was, I don't know what his thought was, but his thought was, oh my, and I worked with juvenile delinquents, and I, you know, I threw around feed sacks for a living, and so... I said, I'm just going to find out. I'm going to talk to him. And my son, when we went up to their house and I knocked on their door, my son's eyes were this big. Like, we don't know. What are you going to do? Are you going to walk in? Are you going to bring him out? Are you going to spank him in front of the whole neighborhood? What are you going to... I didn't do any of those things. I talked to the mother, and the mother was very cooperative. And I would imagine the boy definitely got some kind of... Something. Recompense. He got appropriate recompense because his mom did not look like she messed around either. So I'm like, okay, knocked on the right door. My point being, Jesus said this. Jesus said, if you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give you the Holy Spirit when you ask? If we know how to pr protect our kids, how much more does your heavenly father, who is the sole caretaker and understands if you don't get fed, it's on him. If you aren't protected, it's on him. 
He assumes responsibility for your daily care. Shepherd. We all know sheep are stupid. The shepherd does not look at the sheep and say, why didn't you figure it out? The shepherd understands. Sheep are defenseless. They follow each other. They get lost. The shepherd understands, I am the sole caretaker. That's why Psalm 23, the, the shepherd psalm, is so really profound and really never goes out of date. You never get to a point where you've outgrown that psalm because of its declaration of, I, it is all my responsibility, even if you don't see it. Savior, there is no other one. He knows we cannot save ourselves. So, given these three terms, Father, Shepherd, Savior, and all of these carry an understanding with them, I want you. The Father wants His children. The Shepherd loves His sheep. The Savior loves to save His own. He loves to save. Why don't we see it? Well, I'm going to use a parenting analogy. When our children are infants, I loved my children when they were infants, but I was glad they didn't stay infants because there's no communication. There's an old proverb, and I don't, I'll, I'll butcher it right now, but it says, when you're, oh man, when your son is born, he is king, you are slave. And then it switches to when your son, it takes you through all these uh, scenarios of growth and age. And when your son's a teenager, you are master. And he is slave or something like that. And culminating with the ideal end is at the end, you both become friends. You become comrades. You, there's communication, there's relationship. And I've just done so much injustice to that ancient proverb that please... Somebody finds it, looks it up, you'll, it'll be marvelous. It'll be like, oh, that's so wise. Alan, he doesn't really remember stuff very well, does he? <laughs> but infants have one main concern. Me, now. Change my diaper now. Why did it take you so long? And you've seen the red faces, and uh, you would think they were being run over by a truck. And all it is is, I'm five minutes late on your meal. Remind you of anybody. Sometimes some of our responses can show where we're really at. Now, Toddlers are cute. You know who's really cute? Other people's toddlers. <laughs> I love other people's toddlers because they are just so cute and they go somewhere else when I leave. They don't go home with me. Toddlers are work. They're into everything. They need rescue. They need this. They need that. And they also still have a little bit of that infant 
I want what I want right now. And if I drop my ice cream cone, wah, disaster. Can you relate? Okay, so now we're finding out a little bit. The problem isn't him. The problem is me. You aren't fast enough. You aren't here. What are you saying? What are you saying? And how many times have we tried to console an infant or a toddler or even a young child who skinned their knee and it's really not that bad, but the drama and the effect of flying over the handlebars... They are crying and you realize you're just crying. You're crying because you're upset. You're crying because you're mad. You're not really crying because you're skinny. God is always with us. He is actively pursuing us and keeping us from more things than we can imagine. What we often don't have yet is an ear to hear. I'll give you this example. Lots of stories today. I needed some counsel one time, and I just wasn't getting it resolved. wasn't getting it resolved, praying and no real answer. So I called our pastor and said, hey, can, can I make an appointment real quick before I go to work? You know, I have a situation I just want to bounce off of you. I need some wisdom. He said, sure. You know, 11, whatever it was, 11, quarter after 11. So I opened my Bible, and let's pretend I remember what the verse was. I went to Luke chapter 7, verse 15, and I read it, and I'm like, ah, nothing there. That didn't do nothing for me. So then it came closer to the time, and I got in my car, and I turned on the radio station, and the, Christian, the preacher on the Christian radio was talking out of Luke chapter 7, verse 15. I'm like, oh, what a coincidence. I was just reading that verse. So I listen, and I'm like, ah, it's nothing there for me. So I go out to... I get to the pastor's office, and I tell him the situation. He goes, open your Bible to Luke. Uh, let's, let's go to chapter 7. Now, right here in verse 15, this is a real true story, certainly not glorifying to me. Now he has my attention. Doggone it. I was hearing from God. Doggone it, I missed it twice. It took the third time for it, because I needed an ear to be built. If we don't have an ear built, and that's part of growth. Part of growth is, how does God commune with you? Now, I know we all want, when we pray, we want God to come into our room and manifest bodily so that we shine like Moses did, we want him to give us the exact thing so that I can say, this is what God said to me. Infants always want that because they want what they want. Give it to me now. Give it to me quick. Give it to me the way I want it. But what does God use? God is in passionate pursuit of you and me. I never forget my kids. And my kids are grown. And I've got more kids now. 
God uses everyday life. He uses jobs, good bosses, bad bosses, friends, relatives, songs on the radio, songs at the restaurant, situations, circumstances, things that bug me. He uses tests. Do you know if it's a test or not? Do you know if you passed or not? These are all things you can't miss because you'll, you'll be able to say, oh my gosh, I had the toughest time with that guy and I just can't stand him and I can't... One time my son came home. I was sitting at the dining room table doing some work on the computer. He came blowing in the house. That guy I'm working with, he's, he's talking the whole way up the stairs. He's storming. He, his boss at this, at this job, he did not get along with that guy well. And he's this and that. He curses all the time and he says this and he says that. And he, and he come back down he's still talking. And I said, stop right there. I said, you drug that man into my house. You drug him up the stairs, into the room. You drug him into the bathroom with you. You drug him back down the steps. You drug him through my kitchen. I don't know the man. He doesn't mean nothing to me. He doesn't warrant that much attention. He is not important enough for you to drag through my house. And my son, all of a sudden, he realized it. Now, that's something he'll never forget. That was a test. That was a learning. How do you cope with people that don't like you? How does God communicate with us? He uses everyday things. I know a, a lady, she got marvelously delivered through a country music song. Now, she did not, after that, promote country music as God. God was God. But he used a song on the radio. And it answered her, but do we have an ear to hear? Do we think he's in pursuit enough that something that might happen today would be a clue? Or are you like me who hear Luke chapter 7 verse 15 and say, oh yeah, that's not doing anything for me because I didn't have an ear built. One, one, one Monday morning, we'd been given an assignment. Look, Jesus said, look at the birds. Look at the flowers in the field. Jesus used everyday things. God spoke to him in multiple ways. Not one. And in one case, Jesus said, look at the birds. They don't store up grain, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you of more value than many sparrows? So that was our assignment. Our assignment was look at the flowers, look at the birds. So Monday morning, I'm driving to work. I worked at the feed store. I'm looking at the birds. I'm going to look at the birds. And I looked up there, and some birds on the telephone lines. And I looked at the birds, and I said, there are birds on the telephone line. <laughs> and I got to work. And I'm like, I'm going to look at birds, but I wasn't outside. I was inside, and I got busy with working at the feed store. I got busy with daily things and waiting on customers. And at about 11, 11.30, I brought this lady's order. She'd bought some feed out. I was, brought it onto the porch, and I was going to put it into her car when she came out of the office. So I was waiting for her to open her trunk. And I saw some birds, and I said, Dad, gummit, I have not looked at a bird all day. I didn't do my assignment. I didn't look at birds. So I was just kind of kicking myself, like, how can you forget? such an easy thing. And I looked around. I just noticed that this woman had bought three 50-pound bags of bird seed and sunflower oil, sunflower seeds. 
I thought, she's paying to feed the birds. And this company, they have combines and fields galore. There are billion-dollar corporations that are devoted to one thing, feeding God's birds. Like, incredible. And I was stunned. It became one of those things, how much more important. If I, as God, arrange for billion-dollar corporations to make sure my birds are fed, and if I can get you, some little old person, to pay, I will pay you to feed your birds, and I'll feel good about it. And how much more value am I than many birds? If he goes to such effort, what I'm talking about is learning to be tuned. Now, I didn't do, I wanted to do the assignment. God gave me something better than just merely looking at birds. He actually showed me something, and it was an answer to me. And I realized, you wanted me to know. And I was working around bird feed all morning and didn't even catch it until I realized I'm supposed to be looking at birds. It's my homework. But in all of this, just going to close with saying, God is in passionate pursuit of us, and he is more involved with our daily living than we know. By him assuming the title of Father, Shepherd, Savior, he is announcing, it's my responsibility to take care of you. Look at your kids. Look at how you plan for your kids. Look at what you do. Look at how you see things in your kids, and you're like, ah, we need to train that out of them. And think about God saying, oh, okay, we need to train this out of you. And you parents with multiple kids, you don't forget one. And God has multiple kids. And yet in his capacity to love, he doesn't forget one. Because you're his responsibility, because you didn't choose him, he chose you. All I'm asking for from this message is just a shift. More of a balance. There's two sides of this coin. Yes, I am pursuing God, but that's my response to his first pursuing me. I am choosing God. I, when I'm at work, I choose to be honest. I choose to work for my employer as unto the Lord. But that's because he first chose me. All of my choices and all of my pursuits are because he first pursued me. And in his revelation of his pursuit, it didn't just stop when you were born again. He didn't just say, ah, check it up, another, another one in the coffer, 10, whatever, register. We got another terrible example. <laughs> I'm not good when I go off script. <laughs> God does, he's not just tallying how many can I get in. We aren't a how many. He knows our name. He knows everything about us. He knows plans that he has for us. He knows gifts that he's put. To each one is given a gift of the Spirit. He knows where it is. He knows what you're called to. Sometimes we have to recognize, oh, in this area, I'm still an infant. I'm still just wah, wah, wah. When something doesn't go my way and it's got to be now, 
And I begin blaming God. Where are you? Where are you? Where are you? I don't see you. I don't... Isn't that an infant type or toddler type? So growth. We're talking about growth and growing. And one of the things, one of the places that you can begin to grow is by recognizing, joining your faith with the fact that he's a good father. You're not an orphan. You are more cared for, more safe, more protected, more provided for than you know it. Our kids are more safe than they know. I know they're out in teenage land where everything's, you know, upset and rapids, the rapids of life. And, but from your perspective, I got it all covered. I'm taking care of you. I've been there. I can help you. So much of this comes back to a resetting of a mind, of our mind, to just accept simply, he's my father, he's in passionate pursuit of me, and he's taken sole responsibility. And the way he communicates with me, sometimes it's he talks in my spirit, or he speaks words to me. Sometimes he uses the Bible, and I open the Bible, and the Bible is the exact answer. Sometimes it can be a country music song on the radio. And you're like, how can he do that? And it just makes me love him more. I one time was at a, a pivotal point in my life, and I had gone to Atlantic City and was living in my car trying to get a construction job, for, uh, uh, and I couldn't get into the union. And so I was starting to hang out with the hobos and the homeless people living in my car, shaving, bathing in the ocean, and going up to a condo and using the sand rinse off shower to quickly shave and then run get back in my car and I found this little parking lot by this nunnery where all these Catholic nuns lived and they never turned me in. Not a fun way to live. And I was just, I didn't know what to do. So I went outside the union hall and there's hundreds of people. Also not a nice place. And this little lady, I was sitting on the wall and she walked over to me and she had ripped a page out of her devotional. You know, those little upper room devotionals and they always have a scripture and a little you know, paragraph of, she said, here, this is for you. Now, I don't know if she was an angel. She could have been an angel. She could have just been a little old lady from Atlantic City. They have them there. <laughs> that little devotional hit me like a ton of bricks. I cried, I got in my car, and I drove home. Pat Sexton's dad rehired me, hired me back on the dairy farm, and he said, hey, we're buying a farm in a place called Strongstown, Pennsylvania. And that's how I got here. So, if we are out of tune, if we don't have an ear yet that recognizes, he'll use a country music song. He'll use, all kind, he'll use something, he'll use the ant, he'll use a squirrel, he'll use a sparrow. My job is to be tune my ear. Not sit and cry and say, where are you, where are you, I can't hear you, I can't hear you. Well, of course you can't hear him. You're making so much noise, you can't hear anything. This is about growth, growing up a little bit, taking another step and understanding that your pursuit of God is not greater than his pursuit of you. All of the responsibility is on him. He has assumed it when he chose you. You are known by name. You are important. He doesn't forget any of his kids. 
and he wants to teach us, I communicate. There's all kinds. And I'll communicate with you the way you need to hear it. If you need to hear it in a country music song, then I'll do that for you. Because the issue isn't the medium. The issue is I want you to hear me and recognize it's me. And that's how relationship grows. And then what, comes, then what comes out of it is a recognition like me in that day. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for using that little woman. And that devotional could not have been more spot on for me. I cried, I got in my car, and I drove home from Atlantic City to Perryville, Maryland. And before you knew it, I was here. <laughs> so... Uh, Next week, we are going to consider forgiveness. And it may be a forgiveness that you've not heard about before. It's much bigger than we thought. So uh, come next week. Thank you. See you guys.